Hi, church. Thanks for joining us for our first equip session of this new year of 2021. Uh, and this will be our uh, winter equip series we're calling Biblical Worldview. Uh, thinking about how does the Bible shape how we see things, how we see the world, how we see people, how we react uh, to news and information uh, that we take in, and then how do we actually act in, in this world. Uh, I do want us to start in uh, just a moment by uh, prayer. I want us to pray for our nation. This has been uh, if you're watching this recorded later, this was uh, on the day that the Congress was gathering in Washington, D.C. Uh, to uh, hear the reading of the uh, electors from our 50 states to uh, elect, our current, our, elect our new president. And um, uh, things kind of went sideways uh, a few hours ago. And we would like to pray for that. I think that would be an important thing for us to do uh, as, as a church as we're commanded to pray for uh, our leaders. And so I want us to lead, I want to lead us in that. And then I'll introduce our, our topic for the day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, that you are sovereign and in control. And uh, there is no election of man uh, that will change that. That uh, today you are king. Um, in eons past, you were king. And for all of eternity, uh, you, Lord Jesus, will be king. Uh, but we do recognize that in your sovereignty, you have established the uh, borders and dominion of rulers in our world, and you have commanded us as Christians to both submit to them uh, and to pray for them. And so, Father, now we have uh, submitted uh, to our current leaders and president, and we'll also submit to uh, the newly elected leaders and president. And in this time of transition, Father, we pray that you, the Prince of Peace, uh, will bring about peace uh, as uh, there is questions of that peace right now in our nation's capital. Uh, so would you, God, um, soften hearts, we pray, um, bring wisdom to people's minds of how they would react. As, we, as I read just before I came in here that there has already been loss of life in, in D.C., uh, we, we pray that, God, that would be limited uh, and, and no more. Uh, so, Father, would, would you work, we pray, uh, to bring about your end and help your church uh, and followers of Jesus uh, be good examples uh, during this time of how we uh, interact with those whom we disagree with, uh, how we react to things that we see on the news and things happening in our nation's capital. Uh, and even in our state capital and, and our local government, we pray. Uh, help us now as we begin this, this uh, semester-long conversation about a biblical worldview. Uh, let us take an honest look in our own lives as we recognize today the varying influences that we have allowed to uh, creep in, we pray. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So... A lot of this has really been driven, I think, by what we have all seen. Not today, obviously. I didn't just decide to do biblical worldview today. I've, I've been working for the last couple of months on uh, this semester's equipped class. And our elders discussed it back this fall and kind of landed uh, on this, that this is where, what, we wanted to, what we wanted to talk about. And I kind of began working on it. But I think it was birthed out of what we are seeing 
just on a day or at least nearly daily basis uh, as we interact with one another and we watch our culture and watch our world interact, particularly over things we disagree with. Uh, So I think you can really understand the true character of a person uh, when they are faced with adversity, right? Adversity um, and, and disagreement and how we deal with that. And what we're seeing, what, what I see, and I think you likely see as well, um, is the, uh, the chickens are coming home to roost as it relates to what's known, I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, what's known as postmodernism. And that is everybody, this is the dominant view in our world in Western civilization today, and that is everybody gets to have their own version of truth. Everybody gets to have their own version of facts, right? Regardless of if there is evidence, like concrete, solid evidence to the contrary, people are just willing to say, nope, this is what I believe, and I'm going to stick to this no matter what. We've gotten to be very bad at admitting we are wrong about anything, absolutely anything. The ability to actually absorb information and change one's viewpoint is now a rarity. People won't do it anymore. We become so entrenched, whether it's tribally or politically, um, or we just have so much pride that we took a position on a certain subject, uh, and and we've become so entrenched in that viewpoint that we become completely unwilling to budge. And when somebody else budges, we mock them for it. And act like they're a flip-flopper or a hypocrite or they never really knew what they were talking about in, in the first place. And that's really dangerous. We should be people that process information all the time. We take in new information from God's word. We take in new information uh, from uh, our surroundings. And, and it changes who we are. And so I, you, you kind of take the, the crossroads of that and it leads us right now to where we are as, as a society. And that is everybody's got their own version of the facts. And nobody wants to move off of theirs because it is how they see the world. And that's really the question that we're going to ask this semester is, how do we see the world? And how are we supposed to see the world? How does... Because it's a good question. The question we're asking today really is how do we see the world? What is, a, what is worldview? Not even a biblical worldview. It's just worldview. What does that even mean? And how do we get there? But then ultimately, it, it's, it's going to lead us to how, do, how, do we, how are we as the church, Christians, supposed to see the world? How are we supposed to see um, culture and government and information and science and history and people and enemies how are we supposed to see all of those things and how are we supposed to interact with them as the Bible tells us to? So ultimately that's where we're going to get. I was, I have written three different opening sessions of this thing and I'm actually going to teach the third one that I wrote. Originally I was going to start historically and talk about how the church has done this. I'm still going to do that, but I think I'm going to do that in about four weeks from now. Because when I start talking about history, some of you bail on me. And I thought, well, if I move that a little bit later in the semester, I get to keep you a little bit longer. Um, and maybe you'll, you'll stick through with me. So I'm not starting with history. That's where I have started in, in semesters past. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that in a little while or in some, some weeks from now. 
Um, and then I thought, well, let me start with an introduction of biblical worldview. And that's actually something I've taught on four years ago on Wednesday night. I did a Wednesday night, just one Wednesday night on what is a biblical worldview. And I'm going to teach through that. I've adjusted some of that information. I'm going to teach that again. And, I was, and I'd, so when I decided not to do the history, I thought, well, that's where I'm going to begin. And then as I was looking over that and preparing, I thought, actually, I think I need to take an, another step back. And so I'm going to do that next week. And what I'm going to do today is really just help us see that we see the world through a variety of lenses. I, I want to convince you of something. I'm actually not going to talk about the Bible a lot today, which is relatively rare. I norm, And so if this is your first time with us on Equip and you walk out of here and you're like, he really didn't talk about the Bible very much. I don't know how I felt about that. Know something. I typically talk about the Bible a lot, a lot, a lot, and will next week. We'll have a lot of Bible that we talk about next week when we start to introduce the idea of what is a Christian worldview. Um, but I just, I want us to think together tonight about what influences really are there in my life uh, that, that influence uh, and impact the way I see the world or the way I interact with the world. And then how does that group me together with other people to what are known as these kind of worldview pockets? And, and, and how does that really function in society? Because some of us have never really thought about it. You may not have ever, and you may be well on in years, and you may not have ever actually considered the fact that you see the world differently than someone else. And you know, if we just will ask that question sometimes uh, when, when we're thinking about somebody that disagrees with us, if we'll just take a step back and say, why do I see this situation the way that I do? And then even ask a more mature question, why does that person see the situation differently than me? If we'll ask those questions. Um, we'll be in a much better place for dialogue and discussion uh, than, we, than we would be uh, otherwise. And so I just kind of want us to take that step back today and, and define our terms and help one another to see why, why we do, why we think the way that we do. And then we will next week get into the biblical worldview part. All right. So let me just answer this, answer this question off the bat. What in the world is a worldview? Like if we're going to have a biblical worldview, which is you hear that, and even if you've never thought about worldview before, as a Christian, you hear the term biblical worldview and you think, well, I want to have that. Don't you? Sure. I want to think like the Bible wants me to think. Uh, that, that certainly should be something that all of us would strive for. But maybe you've never considered not just what is a biblical worldview, but what is a worldview. And so this is my definition of it. And uh, I'm sure if, if there are people in here trained in sociology, I got this wrong. But from my perspective, okay, postmodernism, I'm, I'm making a joke here, folks. This is my truth, okay? Um, a worldview is the totality of the lenses through which we see the world. So let me help with the lens thing for a minute. Many of you in here have glasses. And those are lenses, Right? And those lenses are the, the physical lenses through which you see the world, right? And what is, a, what is a lens? A lens is basically a filter, right? It takes light and focuses it, filters it, 
So your eyes, which are nearsighted or farsighted, depends on what your vision issue is, can properly see the light, right? Now, some of you have bifocals or trifocals even that, that depends on what part of your glasses you look through, you're, you're getting multiple filters. And when you go to the, get an eye exam, this is the best. I tried my best to come up with a, uh, a good illustration. Uh, this is the best I can come up with. When you go to get an eye exam and they pull that big black thing down in front of your face and push it up there to your eyes, right? And they start clicking through and they're like, is A better or B better? Is C better or D better, right? What they're doing is they're putting multiple lenses, in, one in front of another, to try to determine what you are. Are you, are you very nearsighted? Are you very farsighted? How much so in, in each direction? So that they can then know what kind of prescription to give you on those, on those glasses. Well, that big, that big black thing that has the multiple lenses that they flip all the way through, that's a really good, I think at least, a really good understanding of what a worldview is. Because a worldview isn't just one lens. It's not just um, my upbringing. It's not just my religion. It's not just uh, the job I do or the education I have. And we're going to go through a lot of those things here in a minute. But it's actually the totality of all of those. And while you may uh, want to think that you only see the world, like maybe you want to think, and there are people out there like this. I don't know that it's anybody in here. But you may want to think you don't see the world through lenses at all. You're just a black and white, true, you know, true and false. You see things as they are. Well, I hope you're mature enough and willing enough in your own heart to admit that's not true. Okay? We all see the world through multiple lenses. And so hopefully you're not somebody that would say, I, I, don't, I don't have anything between me and information, Right? Uh, but I, I see it exactly like it is. And also, along with that, I hope you don't say, well, I, all I have is a biblical worldview. I view everything through the, through the scriptures. Folks, I just think that's really, really naive if we're not willing to admit that we process information and react to information through these varied lenses that have kind of piled on us in our lives. And so that's ultimately what a worldview is. It's the totality of the lenses through which we see the world. And it affects both of those things. It affects the way we receive information, process information. So you, I mean, we prayed for it. We've talked about it. So I would just probably use this as the running example. You likely turned on uh, the news or read on the internet or on social media about what was happening in Washington, D.C., today and very quickly came to a conclusion. Very quickly you came to a conclusion. Do you want to know why? Because of the lenses through which you were viewing that situation. You, you, didn't, it didn't, you didn't have to go all the way back and start, but, you know, and start processing this. It just happened really fast for you. You had a knee-jerk reaction and nine times out of 10, our knee-jerk reaction is the one that we stick with for good or bad. And that knee-jerk reaction was the way that you viewed it through all of these lenses that have piled up. So you processed that information very, very quickly. And you thought, hey, this is good. I'm glad this is happening. You thought this is terrible. It should never happen. Somewhere in between, you know, some third option. I don't know. You, you thought something about it. Maybe even you thought, I don't care that it's happening. 
that's a lens. That's, that's because of a worldview. That's because you viewed it through that through certain, certain lenses that led you to that. So it's the way we process information, but then it's also the way that we react to it. So then when you start having conversations with people about it, you start interacting over it. Um, you decide, now obviously you didn't because you're here. You decide to go participate in it. Or you decide to go to social media um, and just for full you know, disclosure, what I did. Go to social media and say, this is not good. This is not right. right? So, we, so it's not only how we process it, but it's also how we react to it, how we, what we do about it. And, and all of this is this, that totality of those lenses. So here are some big questions that our worldview helps us answer. So as we're walking around in this world and we're, we're answering questions all the time that we don't realize we're answering. You think you're going through life all the time, just going from, you know, doing your checklist, going from point A to point B, doing your job and going home. But your brain is processing all of this information all of the time that are answering some big questions in life that you may not even be really aware that's happening. So here's some of the questions that our worldview, that totality of those lenses, helps us to answer. I have six of them here, if you, those of you that like to take notes. The first is, is there a God and what's he like? Your worldview helps you determine what you believe about God. Now, I teach Wednesday nights as if I'm teaching Christians. So my assumption here is that the people that are listening to me right now, at least one of the lenses that has been pulled in front of your, you know, in front of your mind's eye is this Christian worldview, is, is at least a quasi-biblical worldview that we're going to talk about this semester because, hey, you're here and you're listening to it and I'm teaching it to you like you're a Christian, right? But your, your worldview is going to help you to answer that question for yourself. Is there a God? And if there is a God, what's he like? Is he... Now, this, this Americanized, westernized... Uh, version of Christianity that's not actually Christianity, I'm, I'm going to describe it even further here in a little while, is this kind of like man upstairs understanding of, of who God is, right? And you ask people, who do you think God is? And they picture this, you know, guy, kind of the cartoon God, you know, big white robe, big white beard. He's got this booming voice. Right? Well, that, that's legitimately how some people picture God because of their worldview. So our worldview helps, our worldview answers that question. It answers the question, where did all of this come from? If you think all of this came from nothing, you likely think that because of your worldview. If you think all of this came from God, you likely think that because of this worldview. Um, why are we here? So this, this like the, the big question in life, right? Why, why are we here? What's my purpose? Is, and this gets down to things like fate and, and purpose. Is, do, do I think things happen because the universe has just set them in motion? Do I think things happen because they're just this random collection of events? Do I think things happen because God is making them happen? Right? What happens after we die? Your, your worldview helps you understand uh, eternity, if you see an eternity, if not, if it's just 
we die and we like, you know, the rest of creation go back into the earth? Uh, Where do ethics and morality come from? Where does this idea that something is right and something wrong come from? Now, as Christians, with, with, with at least one lens over our mind's eye that is, that is biblical, we would affirm that obviously this comes uh, right and wrong comes from God, but uh, that's not what everyone else thinks. There, there are people that believe in right and wrong that would answer that first question, is there a God and where does he like, that would answer that and say, there is no God. But they would still, because of their worldview, be able to get to a place where they can attribute value to uh, ethics and right and wrong and what is right and wrong. And we see this in our culture all the time. People who completely deny the existence of God and godly morality still very forcefully will call something right or call something wrong. And this is we see this almost on a daily basis for, with, with the cancel culture that we have in our world. I mean, our, our world, the secular world is very quick to cancel somebody because they see them as wrong. Even though they would say there, there is no God or if there is, he doesn't really care about what's, what's going on around us, right? How should I view people? That's the, the last one. There. How, how, does, how do I think about you? As a person, are you just another, you know, highly evolved collection of cells that's walking around that's one day going to die? Are you someone that was created in the image of God that God loves? Are you someone that I should see as an enemy? Are you someone I should see as a friend? Are you my competition? Are you on my team? How we see people are greatly influenced by our worldview. So then what are the major contributing factors to the worldview? So again, picture that big black thing. I'm sure that thing has a name. I don't know what it is. The Lens 2001, okay? I don't know. Picture that big thing, right? It's got all those lenses in it. Well, what? Hmm? It's called Okay, I can't even say that. Um, <laughs> so, so we've got all those, we have all these lenses, right? So what are the prime? These aren't the only ones, but the, these are some of them that we, sh- we have to recognize influence us. All right, we could put these in a, and you're gonna, you've, you've heard this before. You, you've thought about these things or at least heard people thinking about these, right? When, when you're talking about why do people do the things they do or why do people believe the things they believe, the big question is, is it nature? Is it something wired in their DNA? Or is it nurture? Is it the way they were born, the way they were raised, the things they were taught to believe? Well, I think we, we can make an argument. I think the best argument is made that it's, it's a mixture of both of those things. That you are who you are as a person because, and I'll just use Christian lingo because we're, we're talking about biblical worldview. You are who you are because God made you that way. Now, somebody with another worldview with a secularist worldview may say you are the way you are because you evolved that way because your chemistry has added up but but let's just for the sake of argument right now say we're really saying the same thing and that it's nature it's it's wiring now I we I attribute all of that to God that God wired me the way that I am when I was in my he, he knitted my inward parts right that that every piece of me is, is who, who I am because God made me that way and, and the same way about you. 
Um, so some of this is nature and some of this is, is nurture. And, and, and nurture is all these external influences. Now, there are far more external influences, but let's just think about the, the nature for a minute. Um, I don't have time to go into all of the examples on this, but if you are a naturally organized person, right? I'm trying to use some that are just the least offensive, right? If you're a naturally organized person, you probably question unorganized people very quickly. You probably look at their life and think, how in the world do they live like that, right? How do they not have a calendar with everything scheduled on it? How do they not have their checklist to do today? Why, why is their desk so messy? Why is their car so messy? Why is their home so messy? Right? You probably think about those things because you're wiring this, the, the way God made you. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with being a naturally organized person or being a naturally unorganized person. If neither of those go to the extremes to where they become detriments to your life or to your godliness, um, then, then it's fine to, to be a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of person. Those people can be fun sometimes, and it's fine to be the person that, that organizes everything. It's fine, as long as we're not going to the, to the extremes. Um, but you're that way because your DNA, which I believe is God-designed, but your DNA tells you you're that way. So you're that way, right? And there's probably thousands of characteristics that we could think of that kind of just make us who we are um, in, in, our, in our nature. And so that affects then, the, that's one of those lenses. And it's probably multiple of them. There's probably multiple just things about you as a person that, 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 you've, that filters information in our world through. Uh, but the ones that we see very often and uh, really need to, to do maybe some work to recognize because they can be so ingrained in us, particularly if they've been from birth. And the, these are the things that are nurture. These are external influences. That's what nurture means. They're external influences that have helped to shape you as a human being, right? And so, so you've probably said things like, you know, I am who I am because my dad taught me this, or my granddad used to take me out and do this, or that first job that I had, or, you know, I, I used to live in this part of the country and those people, th right? These are all nature. Now, na or these are all nurture. And nurture, a lot of times can be positives, but sometimes can be very negative. If you had a, uh, if you grew up in a, in a, um, broken home that was very detrimental to your upbringing, it very likely negatively influences the way you think about marriage and family, right? Or at least it can. So sometimes our, sometimes our nurture can be, just like our nature, can be a positive influence and sometimes it can be a negative influence. And we need to recognize what both of those are. So what are then some of these things? Well, I think the biggest one is your family. And, and family is more than just, 
you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, whatever. Family for you is whoever those people are in your life that were the closest to you for, the, for that extended period of time in your life. And, and that may very likely have changed. So, you know, for the first 20 years of my life, family was um, mom and dad and sister. We were fairly close with my grandparents uh, we, we had a pretty tight-knit family for, for a good portion of my childhood growing up. We're around each other all the time, uh, very homogenous, very thought a lot of the same things and a lot of the same ways, and, and, um, and that, that was very influential in my life. But the last 20 years of my life, I'm still close with my parents. I'm still close with my sister. The last 20 years of my life, the most influential for me have been wife, now two children, right? So we, Christy and I have been married almost 20 years now. So she's got just as much influence on me as a person as my parents did. Um, and so both of those families, right? So sometimes family isn't just like the 40 years or however long you've been alive family, but sometimes that, that changes. And, and these people have said things and done things and taught you to do things um, your whole life. And you do things without even thinking about it. Do you find yourself doing things without even thinking about it? Because that's the way your parents did. That's the way mom taught you. That's the way dad taught you. That's just the kind of the way you, you grew up. Why, why do you, you know, um, you likely, and I just think of an example. You likely either keep certain things on the counter or in the refrigerator because that's what your family did. You know that, right? You either keep butter out at room temperature or you keep it in the refrigerator because your mom did it that way. You may refrigerate ketchup, even though ketchup does not need to be refrigerated. You know, my family refrigerates ketchup. There is absolutely no reason to refrigerate ketchup whatsoever. But our family does because both of our parents refrigerated ketchup. And so we do it too, right? I mean, and I know that seems silly, but you've likely never thought about why you do any of that. You just, but you do because of family. Economics, right? If you grew up um, at a certain economic level and have always stayed at that level, that has influenced you. But if your economic situation has changed, it likely has changed you. And, and not only the, the way that you grew up economically did that change you, but the way you didn't, the, the economic spheres that you haven't experienced, um, also impacted. I mean, it, it's really hard uh, for someone who has never been poor to process information the way that a poor person processes it because they've just never had to. You, if you've never not known where your next meal is coming from, then you don't know what it's like to think as someone. And listen, and I say this with full admission, I have always known where my next meal is coming from. Christy and I had a, had a period of our life early in marriage where we were poor, but we both came from loving and supporting families that if we said we were hungry, they would have sent food. Like we, I didn't have to worry about it. They, they, we used to go to our mom's house on Sundays for lunch and she would cook enough food for 30 people just so she could send it home with us, right? And have food. We, I've never, I've never had to worry about it. And so I, I have to admit, one of the lenses in front of me is, I don't really know what it's like to be that, that level of poor uh, economically where you, where you would say, I, I don't know if we're going to eat this week or I don't know if we're going to have a home at the, at the end of the month. 
Some of you have been there, so you can think that way. You, you do view life through that. So our economics, our family, our economic status, um, the, the nation, even region within larger nations like America, within Western civilization that we grow up in, has vast influence. And this is one of the ones, if, if you've been sitting under my preaching ministry for a long time, you'll recognize this. I try my best to push on your American lens all the time. Not that the American lens is bad or wrong or more influential or less influential than, than other lenses, but we as, as Westerners uh, are so into independence and freedom and don't tell me what to do and I'm not gonna get in your life and I, you know, this is, this is my life and I'm gonna live my life and you leave me alone. Like, that, that is so ingrained in American culture that when we read about the type of community that we see in the New Testament that the church is supposed to have, it requires, I think, pastorally in America that we really push back on that a lot. And so I try a lot and I, I make a, an intentional effort to kind of push that lens. Not that I think there's anything wrong with I think there's things wrong with America. But not that I think there's anything wrong with having that lens. I have that lens because I grew up here. But, but I think we ought to push on it. I think we, we ought to recognize that it is a way that we see the world that is not always that helpful. And other nations would see it uh, other ways. There, there, um, there was, I learned really quickly, and I've been to Africa now, um, I think 14 times I've been uh, in various countries in, in Africa. And I learned very quickly there, these people see the world differently than me. I mean, they, they got a lot of different lenses than, than, than I have. And they would have a lot of different lenses than African-Americans have, right? I mean, people that have lived their entire lives in some of these places in, in Africa, I mean, just have very different lenses. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, last year, uh, one of our Southern Baptist seminaries actually had somebody come in and do a talk. And they did, the, they did a talk on, the, the whole seminar was on, exegesis of scripture, like explaining scripture to people. But they brought somebody in who did a talk on explaining scripture from a West Africa or from an African worldview. And people got really, like people wrote online. I read, I started reading these other articles about how that was the wrong thing to do because exegesis of scripture is exegesis of scripture no matter where it is. And I'm thinking, I can promise you these people writing that have never been anywhere. They've never actually been on the ground somewhere and think, man, these people think different than us. That doesn't mean that the biblical truth is different somewhere else. But the way they come to it and the way they approach it is going to be different. Just like it's going to be different if you grew up in a house that always read the Bible or if you grew up in a house that never read the Bible. And that can happen right here in the neighborhood, right in our, in our own community, right? So the, these, where we grew up, um, has, has a great influence. These are putting these, these lenses in front of us that we see the world. Your education. Um, if, you, uh, if you have a uh, college education, if you have uh, a blue-collar working man class education, you see the world differently. And again, not, one of those things is not better than the other. Look, we need people that do everything that people do. And so it's important that people go get doctorates and master's degrees and college education. But I say all the time, and I think our world's finally coming to the realization, everybody don't need to go to college. College isn't for everybody. 
we need people that are going to go learn how to weld and, and learn how to fix air conditioners and fix cars. Like we, those people are just as important to society as somebody else that would go and be highly educated. But whichever one of those paths you take, I promise you, it affects the way that you see the world. You, and you, you, re, you receive information and process information differently based off of, you know, if you went to uh, an Ivy League school versus the school of hard knocks, okay? You, you, you think about life differently and you may not realize that you do. And, and here's how you don't realize it. If you think one of those things is better than the other, right? If you, if you think, oh, my, I'm, you know, I'm street smart. Uh, I mean, maybe. Um, but it, it, it could just be you, you've, that lens is so clouded you against people that went a different way than you. Now, these last two, um, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you about, and I don't want you to think I'm lumping people together, Okay. But I do think societally, both of these matter. Uh, one of them is gender. Now, that's not to say that all women think alike or all men think alike. But men and women are different. That, that's a biblical statement, okay? Men and women are different. God made us uh, male and female. We're going to talk about gender on one of the Wednesday nights uh, towards the end of the semester and how our, how our society is thinking about gender and how the church should come alongside of that conversation and influence it. But just from a worldview perspective, uh, women tend to see things differently than men. And again, it doesn't mean that all women think alike um, or all men think alike, but t- women will tend to think one way and men will tend to think another uh, based on not only some of that is nature, right? Women tend to be more caring and more nurturing. Men tend to be more, um, you know, do something and, uh, and, and more assertive. And, and that, but that's not always the case. So sometimes it's nature, but sometimes it really is just nurture that a woman growing up in whatever kind of society she's growing up in or a man growing up in a society and whatever kind of society he's growing up in um, is going to influence the way that person sees, uh, sees the world. Um, I've told this story before, but one of, one of the times, one of the things that really opened my eyes in, in West Africa, and this was years and years ago, um, I think it was in Nigeria, I was talking to a pastor, I mean a man, I was talking to a pastor, a godly man, about his children, and he had sent all of his boys to school, had paid good money, like he was working hard to send his boys to, to school, he had to start paying for school in that country in like seventh grade or something, and he started paying, but none of his girls, and I said, why, why don't you send your girls to school? And he said, would I send my donkey to school? I thought, I know you didn't just call your girls donkeys, man. He loved his daughters. Like I watched him interact with his daughters. He loved his daughters. But it was just outside of any kind of rational thought in that culture that you would send, you'd pay to send your, your daughter to, to school. He wasn't calling them donkeys. You're just saying, there there's, there's be no reason why I would send my daughter to school. Well, I can promise you those girls growing up in that, a, a society that thinks they're not necessary for them to receive hardly any kind of education at all. They're going to view the world differently, right, than a man that grows up in that. The other, particularly in a multi-ethnic society, is race. Now, that is not to say that all black people think alike or that all Asian people think alike or that all uh, Latino people think alike because they certainly don't. Uh, Our world tends to act like they do. We tend to want to put people in nice, clean little boxes, right? 
they don't. That's just, that's not true. But if, if you grew up as a part of the majority culture, then you may not have experienced, you likely not have experienced some of the things people that grew up being in the minority have experienced. Now, some of those experiences for them are good experiences. They've been able to have a, a, a more defined culture um, because uh, minorities tend to gather and they'll, they'll tend to share things together uh, in a way that a majority culture won't, um, the, the majority ethnic people won't. But that, again, doesn't make them all the same, but it affects the way they may see the world um, because of their uh, ethnicity. So nature and nurture, all of these things. So as I talk about this, what I hope you're seeing is you don't just have one lens sitting in front of your face. You probably don't even just have 10. You've got almost an infinite amount of experiences and, and, and wiring and, and upbringing and, and thoughts and education. And you've got all of this stuff through which you nearly instantaneously view something. And you don't even know you do it. You don't even think about the fact that you do it. But we all do. It happens to every one of us. We, we, will, we will evaluate a situation and make a decision on it and act very quickly because of who we are and how we got to be who we are without ever really thinking about all of those things that stand in between the, that situation and us that filter that information to us. And so what we want to try to do over the course of the next three months is start not removing all of those things because you'll never remove all of them. You are who you are. So it's not about removing them all. It's about making sure that none of those are serving in a contradictory way to what the, to a biblical worldview. So when we put the Bible in there, if there's one of them that makes that image distorted in a way that the Bible doesn't want it to be, then we got to pull that one out because now that one's not helping us, right? We've got to, we've got to learn to think differently. And, uh, that, that's what I want us to help us to do. So all of that builds up into you and that creates you who you are, but worldviews aren't just individual. Worldviews are very much societal that we tend to gather with people with very similar worldviews to our own. Now, that doesn't mean that we are exclusive in that, and nobody has the same exact perfect worldview as you because our experiences and our wiring and all of that is, is going to be different. But we take the big chunks, right, and we tend to gather with people and associate with people and think with people in that same way. And what it ends up doing is it creates what's known as an echo chamber, right? If we're not willing to listen to anybody outside of it, to where all we hear is people that think the same way that, that I do. Um, and, and process information the same way that I do. And we all come to the same conclusion uh, about it. And that's one of the big challenges for me. I mean, just share you personally kind of where I'm on this because a church has a tendency to do that. Uh, one of the things that's been a, a big challenge to me in this current course of um, 
educational studies that I'm going through uh, right now is when you get to this level of education, you no longer get to only quote people you agree with. <laughs> and so I, I just wrote a paper this week uh, on, on the qualifications for elders. It was something we've done in our church, but I wrote an academic paper on the qualifications for elders. And I had to interact with Catholic commentaries and liberal commentaries and other people that, that are viewing it very, very differently than the way that I would view it or that we as a congregation would view it. And I, ha- I have to see why they're coming from the way that they're coming from. Put that in there. Well, we all need to be willing to, to do that. We need to recognize who, what all these groups are because we tend to gather with them. And then these various worldviews tend to coalesce in, into, into dominant and then less dominant uh, worldviews within society. So we'll see a rise and a fall. Uh, of, of ways in which the majority culture, majority of people are thinking in any given culture. So one worldview may dominate in America. One worldview may dominate in uh, a, a smaller section of America, like the, like the Southeast or the Northeast or the, well, the West Coast, uh, while a completely different worldview is going to dominate in Europe or is going to dominate in Asia. Uh, and, and even different parts of those places. So what I want to end with is what are, what are the major worldviews? So when we think, I'm not talking about like, I'm not, I'm not talking about middle class versus, I, I'm saying like big picture worldviews that all of these things kind of add up and we end up saying, I approach the world in this way. It doesn't mean that there's no degrees of difference within these, but if we were to categorize these um, with biblical worldview being one that I'm going to explain next week, then I think there are maybe six others that are either, uh, that, that are very influential in our world today. The first is naturalism. Naturalism is very prominent um, in... Um, Western civilization. It's very prominent in uh, some parts of uh, the Far East that we would say there is no God. Naturalism is what communism argued for. I mean, that's what communism wanted. Communism wanted to stamp out any idea from a religious perspective, stamp out any idea that there was was a God, right? There is no God. All there is is humans, and humans are just highly evolved animals, and the universe is a closed system, meaning there, there's no external force working within, within the universe. There, there's, no, there's no miracle. Um, uh, Thomas Jefferson was a, was a naturalist. I mean, that's why in the Smithsonian, his Bible has, has all of the miracles cut out of it. You can go see it. Because he didn't believe in miracles. He believed you know, there, there is no God like acting on our world. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of modern people, have a naturalist worldview that, that this, what we see is what there is and this exists. There's no spiritual realm, right? Whether that's the Christian God or any other God, it's not just a denial of Christian Christianity. It's a denial of all of it. None of that is, is, is having any influence at all uh, on, on us. Number two is uh, also very popular is postmodernism. Now, what you will see sometimes is a mixture of these. Again, not all of this is cut and dry. Not everybody that would ascribe to one of these 
agrees with everything that everyone else in them because they all have these different lenses. Uh, Postmodernism rose in the second half of uh, the 20th century. It's still very common today. We're actually something in a kind of in a post postmodern uh, world. Um, modernism brought to rise naturalism. All right, and, and then and then postmodernism came after that, where it looked out in the world and really thought not about where all of this came from. It doesn't really care about God. It doesn't really care about humans so much. It just cares about truth. And and the only reason that it cares about truth is to insist that there is only one thing that is true. And that's that nothing's true, (laughs) right? The the only truth of postmodernism is that nothing's true. Now, to, to make so this is what postmodernism says. There's no such thing as absolute truth, right? But you, you recognize the problem with that. You, you sense the irony in my voice, right? That to make the claim that there is no absolute truth is a claim of absolute truth. All right. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the big problem with postmodernism. And they recognize it's a problem. They just don't care. Um, but there, there is no objective truth. There is no objective moral standard that, that all of this is socially constructed. You hear that term all the time in our world today. Well, that's just a social construct, right? Gender is a social, I'm not saying that that's true. That's saying this is what you hear in our world today. Gender is a social construct. Sexuality is a social construct. The family is a social construct. Morality is a social construct. They just go down and down and down the list and just say, we have created it. And then what they argue for, and they may not even know that they're doing it, but what they end up doing is creating their own version of that. So they say, well, forever, you know, the, the world has said there's only two genders. Well, that's a social contract. That's not true because that would be absolute truth. So they now have 37 genders. And they've established a whole nother absolute, right? You, you have to subscribe to this if you want to be in the club if you're not willing to subscribe to that and be in the club, then, then you're, you're wrong. So it's not that they don't have morality or some type of ethnic, uh, ethical standard. It is that it is all, it, 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 it's all depending upon the person that's setting it or the society that's, that's setting it. Number three, pantheism. Now you hear pantheism and likely think like Greek and Roman gods or Hinduism. But this is even bigger than that. This is the idea that God is the totality of all reality. Now, don't think of God in the way that we think of him, because that's certainly a denial of who the Bible says God is. But really, I'm going to use a word, and you're going to understand exactly what I'm describing here. The universe is telling me to do this. The universe wants me to do this. We, we need to make sure we don't, you know, go against the universe. That everything is God. Every, everything's divine. Everything's a part of mother nature and father time. And everything is a part of, of the deity, the being. We're, we're all one and not all one in Christ, not all, you know, uh, created in the image of God. We're all one. We're all part of this divine thing that, that, that's happening. And again, there's, there's crossover between some of these. 
Number four is pluralism. Pluralism is best defined by a common bumper sticker that you see that says, coexist. <laughs> That's pluralism. Uh, we live in a society that, that, is, that is very pluralistic, that if it is going to allow us within postmodernity to embrace religion at all, the only thing that it will allow us to embrace is the idea that they are all equal. They are all equally valid perspectives of, of the ultimate reality. That Christianity is fine as long as Christianity just sees itself as one view of the same thing, right? And that, the, that other religions, whether they be actual world religions or just creations in people's mind, that we're all viewing the same thing just from a different not through different lenses, but from a different angle. That we're all looking at this mountain that we're trying to climb together. That's pluralism. There are many paths to good and to God. You, you can get there. As long as you're striving to get there, you'll, you'll ultimately get there. The fifth one may surprise you a little bit. But you've heard of it. It's Islam. Now, it, Islam is... Um, not quite the large, Islam is the largest religion if you have a narrow understanding of Christianity. If you don't have a narrow, if, you, if you're going to just say, okay, anybody that actually calls themselves a Christian, which I don't think everybody that calls themselves a Christian obviously is a Christian, but if you take everybody that calls themselves a, Christians in, a Christian in the world, Christianity is still the largest religion, but, but Islam is gaining and it's gaining quickly. Uh, Islam is the dominant worldview in much of in in many places in the world, in much of Africa, in in uh, most of the Middle East, and a good portion of Asia, um, and it is growing, and it is even becoming the dominant worldview in some cities in the United States. Um, and so you have to understand that this is a this is a way that uh, you know over a billion people in our world think today. There is one God. Um, which, by the way, the word Allah that you hear for God is just the Arabic translation of God. Um, Christians that pray, that use Arabic as their language also pray to Allah, okay? So don't, don't panic when you hear the word Allah. It's just, it's a translation of the word God. Um, but because Arabic, is, because the Quran is in Arabic, they all use that word for God. And so that's their name for God, Allah. It just means God, though, in Arabic. And that his will was most fully revealed through his final prophet, who is Muhammad and who gave them the Quran. So that is a dominant worldview. And what, what does the Quran say? What did Muhammad say? Uh, what do our, uh, what are the current Islamic teachers say? Is, it's very important for us to understand if we're thinking worldwide. Number six is... Um, primarily a Western civilization understanding, and it is an offshoot of Christianity that uh, I actually think is predominant among people who call themselves Christians in America today. I think the majority of people that would identify themselves as Christians today in America are not actually Christians. If you were to actually press on the gospel and Jesus and all of that, they would deny it. Um, but it is this, moralistic theopathy, therapeutic deism, moralistic, therapeutic deism. It affirms there is a God. It affirms there's such a thing as morality. 
But ultimately, that God exists because he wants me to be happy. He wants me to be nice to people. And he really only steps in when I need help. The rest is up to me. I got to pull myself up from the bootstraps. I got I to gotta make life happen. God helps those who help themselves. Um, when I get into a big pickle, I pray and God steps in. But there's no real judgment. There's no real test of morality. There's no real confession of faith. It's really just God. That's the big, long, white beard, right? Long, white robe, standing on the cloud. Maybe he punishes really bad people, but of course, I'm not really bad. So he's not punishing me. But if I get into a really bad pickle, can't pay rent this month, I can pray God's going to do something about it. Um, uh, God just really wants me to love everybody. God really wants me to be kind to everybody. God really wants me to be nice to everybody and let's all just get along. And God, God will be happy that way. That's moralistic therapeutic deism and it's prominent in our world today. So you hear all of those, all six of those, and obviously the seventh would be a, a true gospel-centered biblical worldview, which we're going to define fully in a whole hour next week. Um, and, and you probably recognize pieces of this in, in people's lives, in pockets in our world, within academia or within Hollywood or within, you know, the social elite or within the government or within people you know, people in your family, maybe even your own past. Maybe you're watching this online, you, yourself. Because all of those lenses add up then and you probably fall into one of these camps. Maybe the biblical worldview camp. So how does this big worldview, I did this, the fact that billions of people around the world think along these same things, like how does that translate to back to where we began with like me in everyday life thinking about situations? Well, we have to recognize that these, these big picture, these macro ways of thinking things come down to that micro like ground level very fast and we don't even know that it happens. They show up most often when we agree or disagree with something. When we hear something that, that our worldview tells us to like, man, we like it immediately. When we, tell, when we hear something our worldview tells us, hear or see something our worldview tells us not to like, we dislike it immediately. We don't even process the information. We don't think why we feel that way. We just feel that way very quickly because this is the way we've been conditioned by all of these things to, to believe. But we must work to recognize where we don't have a biblical worldview. We have to do that work. And that's what I'm hoping we do this semester. We'll do this work together to find those places we don't have a biblical worldview. So that's going to be the kind of the first month of it is really just thinking about what does this mean and how do we, how do we get there? And then I think the best way to do it is to start thinking about some issues. And so we're going to, I'm going to take an issue or a combination of issues uh, that, that all share some kind of commonality. Uh, for the for the last maybe seven or eight weeks of what we do, and and think and ask this question: Okay, if I'm viewing this correctly, as the Bible wants me to view it, then how am I going to bring the gospel to bear in it? Because my prayer through this is not only, and this is really why where the elders landed when we were talking about this together. Uh, a couple of months ago, where we really landed on this was we don't want this to only be, well, let's think right. But belief drives action. I say that all the time when I'm talking about our core beliefs and our core values. Belief drives action. So if we will think right, then we will be people who bring the gospel to bear in people's lives. 
And so this is actually going to drive gospel conversations. This is actually going to drive evangelism ultimately. Because some of you may not know how to interact with someone because they see the world differently than you. Because they um, are, are living some type of lifestyle of sin or they've embraced some kind of different position. You may just not know how to react at all, so you don't. And that's what I want to help with. I want us to get us to thinking about how we, we do this from a biblical perspective and then start applying that into all these different areas, not being able to hit all of them, but start applying that in all these different areas to ultimately lead us to say, okay, now I know how to talk to my neighbor. I know how to talk to my coworker. I know how to talk to my friend. I know how to talk to my family member um, who, who is obviously processing information differently than me uh, in, in all these different ways. All right? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, that you open our eyes. Thank you for the good things in our lives that have made us who we are and, and God, even for the trials. Uh, but we ask, God, for ways that we don't see things as you would have us to see it. Would you purge those from our lives? Um, because, God, we, we want to view our world. We want to view you. We want to view people as you would intend us to. Uh, I thank you for all these that showed up, those that are watching with us online. Pray this will be a blessing to them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So next week, the whole time, a lot of Bible next week, talking about what, it, what really constitutes a biblical worldview. Those that join us online, thank you for joining us. Be back here with us next week.